Thank you, Cindy. Wonder who those people are on your list. The writer of Hebrews makes a list of the men and women of faith who were faithful to the finish. And maybe you and I have lists of people too who were faithful and we have come behind them and we have found them faithful. Would you pray with me, Heavenly Father? Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto us. Morning by morning, new mercies we see. You have never once failed us. And we, your children, give thanks to you and pray that you, our faithful Father, would find us faithful. We trust in you absolutely. We pray that you would make us worthy of your trust in us. That we might be trustworthy, reliable, faithful servants of a faithful Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. We all have heroes that we look up to. One young grandson was playing golf with his grandfather. Wouldn't that be a joy? And they were out playing one day and a course that they were both familiar with and The grandson hit a wonderful shot right down the middle of the fairway, but between him and the green, between him and the flag, stood a very tall pine tree. And he really didn't know which way to go. He couldn't go left, he couldn't go right, he was just looking at it, and he asked his grandfather, he said, what do you think I should do? And his grandfather waxed nostalgic. He said, you know, when I was your age, I was in the same spot, and I just hit the ball over the pine tree. And the boy looked at the pine tree and he looked at his grandfather, pulled out his best club and took a mighty whack at that ball. And he hit it high in the air. It was a marvelous parabola. And it hit the the pine tree about halfway up and bounced back behind them in the fairway. And exasperated, the grandson said, I don't understand. And the grandfather said, no, when I was your age, the pine tree was only this tall. (laughs) It was easier to hit it over back then. From time to time, you come to me and we talk about the way things are today. We're given, aren't we, to lamenting the way things are. How did it come to be this way? And from time to time, some of you will say to me, you know, it was easier when we were younger. There weren't as many complex complex factors and it was just easier. There's so many things that kids can get into these days. It's just a little bit harder. And we worry about our young people and we we pray for them. And it's it's just kind of a struggle, isn't it, as we consider that? How do we direct our children and grandchildren, nieces and nephews, all those who come under our influence, how do we point them in the right direction? I'd like to consider with you this morning a favorite uh, familiar verse, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, and this book that is filled with wisdom for the family and for God's family, there's a word for us today as we try to point Children in the right direction. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Basic training. Next week we'll, on Father's Day, consider the book of Proverbs, the little statement, quit acting a fool, which was my father's favorite thing to say to me and my brothers as we were growing up. Quit acting a fool, if you're wondering where that came from. Let's stand together to read God's Word. I think in the fall I want to do a series on friendship. I've been praying about that this weekend as well. Proverbs 22, verse 6. I'm reading from the NIV. If you have the NIV, I would really like for you to read this aloud with me, just this one verse. If you don't have the NIV, I would really like for you not to read this aloud with me, because it could be confusing. Proverbs 22, 
Verse 6. Let's read it together. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. You may be seated. Ruth Pomacall used to love this verse. Ruth was um, one of those grandmothers in that first church I served when I was a teenage pastor, and she loved this verse. She was the one who said to me, when your children are little, they step on your toes, but when they get older, sometimes they step on your heart. When she said it, I used to think, I think she's experienced that. This is not just an old adage that she's repeating, and... I believe it must be true because she loved this verse. And when we would gather together on Wednesday evenings for prayer meeting, she would always reference this verse and say, Pastor, we need to pray for the young people in our community. She would raise her hand. Let's pray for all the young people who incorporated from her perspective people in their 50s and 40s and 30s and 20s and teens and children. And she would say, we need to pray for them. And she would say, the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. And I've trained up my four kids in the way they should go. And she said, I just don't want them to depart from that way. And she would pray for her kids to come back to the Lord. It was a church primarily filled with senior adults when we first went there. And she would say, oh, I want the children to come back. And she would pray and and reference this verse. And I'm guessing she's not alone. She's not alone, is she? You've prayed this verse, haven't you? For a child or a grandchild who perhaps knew the right thing to do, but maybe seems to be wandering far from the things that you taught them when they were young. And you wonder, when will they come back? And we struggle with this and we wonder, what exactly is Solomon saying? He is saying that there is a direct correlation between what we teach our children when they are young and the choices they make when they are older. That what we teach our children and grandchildren to do really matters because it will shape their decision-making process in the future. Solomon had lots of kids, so he had lots of worries, lots of concerns for his kids. And so the book of Proverbs is really his effort to say to his children and the generations that follow, there is a way to walk, there is a right way, and there is a wrong way. And he wanted his children, desperately wanted them, to choose the right way. So he's not so different from us, is he? We know there's a right way and a wrong way, and we know that our kids are making choices every day, and we pray that they'll make the right choices. But is there anything proactively uh, that we can do proactively before they reach those decisions? Well, I think there's a principle here. A principle, train up a child in the way she or he should go. And then there's a great promise. And when they're old... They will not depart from it. First, notice this principle that he points out to us. Train up a child in the way he or she should go. It's a a word of teaching. Really, it means to dedicate your children in the way they should go. That's the word. It's, It's a powerful word. It's not unlike what we do when we hold the babies in our arms up here four times a year. And we pray for them, we give thanks for them, and we commit them to God, and we dedicate homes to God. And what we're really saying is, Lord, as much as is in us, we are desiring that these children will grow up and follow the Lord. It's not unlike what we're doing when we're teaching Sunday school week to week to these children. Not unlike what we're doing when we're training them in choir. We're trying to teach them to love God by learning His Word and by singing to Him These are important things to teach the children. And he says, teach them. And I think the primary responsibility rests and resides with the parents. I mean to say, even though I think we have some of the finest Sunday school teachers in the world, that in that one hour a week, we cannot do enough to keep children on the right path. 
Actually, the primary responsibility, as the scripture describes it, both in the Old and New Testaments, rests with the parents. You see it in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. The Shema, if you've ever heard this, Shema in Hebrew is here. Hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. We just have one God. Love the Lord your God with all, with all your heart soul and strength it says in the new testament uh, the, the word mind is added to that and there are different translations might and mind but if they get that word all they'll get it love the lord your god with all and then he describes and he's you know he's given the 10 commandments at this point and he says you should impress these things let them be on your hearts and then impress them upon your children talk about these things When you rise up in the morning, when you're walking in the way, when you sit down at night, talk about these things. Every moment is a teachable moment to draw our kids back to the way. But when I look at that word, the way, it sort of sounds like a direction, like a navigational term to us, doesn't it? It it sounds like a list of rules. Get in the right way. Do the right things. And we all have our lists, don't we? We have lists that we that we enforce. And I've been the master of lists as our boys 15 and 18 have been growing up every time we get a new computer or a new video game or a new sport then I would sit down at the computer and type up a new list of rules now these are the rules pertaining to this particular new opportunity temptation in your life and on the whole I'm not sure the rules have been the most effective way of raising our kids maybe you've heard these lists of rules does this sound like something that was said in your house once upon a time Laws of forbidden places, of the beasts of the field and of the fishes of the sea and of all the foods that are acceptable in my sight you may eat, but not in the living room. Of the hooved animals broiled or ground into burgers you may eat, but not in the living room. Of the juices and other beverages, yes, even those in sippy cups you may drink, but not in the living room. Neither may you carry such therein. But if you are sick and are lying down and watching something, then you may eat in the living room. Laws pertaining to dessert... For we judge between the plate that is unclean and the plate that is clean, saying first, if the plate is clean, then you shall have dessert. But of the unclean plate, the laws are these. If you have eaten most of your meat and two bites of your peas, with each bite consisting of not less than three peas each, or in total six peas eaten where I can see, and you have eaten enough of your potatoes to fill two forks, both forkfuls eaten where I can see, then you shall have dessert. But if you eat a lesser number of peas... And yet you eat the potatoes still, you shall not have desserts. And if you eat the peas yet, leave the potatoes uneaten, you shall not have dessert. No, not even a small portion thereof. And if you try to deceive by moving potatoes or peas around with a fork, that it may appear that you have eaten what you have not, you will fall into iniquity. And I will know, and you shall have no dessert. Do not scream, for it is as if you scream all the time. If you were given a plate on which two foods you do not wish to touch each other are touching each other, your voice rises up even to the ceiling while you point to the offense with the finger of your right hand. But I say to you, scream not, only remonstrate gently with the server that the server may correct the fault. Likewise, if you receive a portion of fish from which every piece of herbal seasoning has not yet been scraped off and the herbal seasoning is loathsome to you and steeped in vileness... Again, I say, refrain from screaming. Though the vileness overwhelm you and cause you to faint unto death, make not that sound from within your throat, neither cover your face, nor press your fingers to your nose. For even I have made the fish as it should be. Behold, I eat it myself, yet do not die. 
Bite not, lest you be cast into quiet time. Leave the cat alone, for what has the cat done to you that you should so afflict it with tape? And hum not the humming in your nose as I read, nor stand between the light and the book. Indeed, you will drive me to madness. Nor forget what I said about the tape and the poor cat. Well, the way must be more than just rules and lists. When he says, train up a child in the way, he's not just talking about rules. Listen again to what he says in Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God. So it's not just about a list of rules. It's about a relationship with the Lord. It's about teaching them about the Lord and teaching them to love Him with all that they are. This is repeated again in the New Testament. It's, it's Paul saying to fathers in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 when he says, don't exasperate your children. And I think lists of rules exasperate kids. He says, don't exasperate them, but rather bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. It's about relationship. It's why Paul would later write to Timothy and say uh, to him, I, I remember your faith, which first lived, listen to that, a living faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, and then in your mother Eunice, and now lives in you as well. I know this, that if faith does not live in us, there's not a chance it's going to live in our kids. And to live in us, it has to be about, about relationship more than about rules. About loving God with all that we are. And as Jesus said, learning to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And those kinds of rules are all wrapped up in relationship with God. And parents have this responsibility. And by the way, we as a congregation are, are glad to share in that responsibility. We can never supplant what you do. We can never be substitutes for what you do. But we would be glad to supplement and I am grateful for the teachers. I tell you, when I make my list of the Hall of Fame of Faith, those who are faithful that I've come behind and found that they were faithful. I think about a sixth grade Sunday school teacher in Washington, D.C., which that may have been 1973, 74, maybe the worst year in my family's life. It was the worst year for, for Richard Nixon. It was probably the worst year for the Brooks family. And, and I remember the only safe place that I knew that year when I was in the sixth grade was the Central Baptist Church in Suitland, Maryland. And there, there was a Sunday school teacher who went out of his way, not just to teach me truth, but to make me know that God loved me. And I don't even remember his name, but I can't forget him. I remember Jim Coxwell, who sat with me by the ice rink and, and taught me about the book of Revelation because I had so many questions. And, and Louine Turner, who taught us in church training or training union, uh, as we used to call it, discipleship training as it came to be, BYPU, way back. But anyway... In that time of training, she taught us and said, when you go off to college, you'll run into teachers who don't believe the scriptures and you'll have to be strong in what you believe in order to stand against that. I am grateful for these teachers. They, they make my list. Frank and Lulu Gamboa. Lulu is the first BBS teacher I remember besides my mom. She helped us make that little plaque of Jesus, you know, and we painted the little board yellow. And then we, we, to make it look antique, we had this picture of Jesus and we burned around the corner. I burned a little bit too much of Jesus, actually, but we shellacked over it. And I still have that little plaque that she gave to us. And her husband, Frank, who led our RAs, and we went out on campouts, and I didn't go on the hike, and he said, you can have a sandwich, but don't eat too much. And I ate all the meat for all the kids, and he was upset with me. I remember Frank and Lulu. They serve over in a church in El Paso to this day, and they invested in my life. And now I understand as we make our schedule changes and try to figure out, as the scriptures say, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. We don't know yet how it's all going to work out, but in the fall sometime, 
We'll enter into our new worship center and we'll shift our Sunday schools and all of that. And we're going to need a lot of Sunday school teachers actually in this hour for the children. We've, I think, lost about 32 and we're going to need some people to teach. And I don't know if it's you, but maybe you're one of those people who's going to make somebody's list someday because you took the time to love the Word of God and love children in Jesus' name. And if God's calling you to do that, we urge you to make that commitment. Because we need to train the children in the way. And the way in the New Testament is a phrase to describe not just a direction. But you remember they were the people of the way, the church. The way is not just a principle, it's a person. Jesus said in John chapter 14 verse 6, I am the way. And when we find the way and we lead others in the way, they will find the truth and they will find the life. Train them in the way they should go. That's the principle. Now listen to the promise there in the second part of that verse. It says, and when they are old and there is this idea that they will grow old and as they grow old, it literally says they will persevere in the way. I just point that out to you because sometimes we sort of assume that kids will make lots of mistakes and they're going to go astray. And I love the testimonies as you do of the people who, you know, who avoided all the licentiousness and lasciviousness and concupiscence when they were young. And I always wanted to avoid those things, even though I didn't know what they were when I was a kid. And those who somehow have been uh, released from addiction to drugs, those are great testimonies. But can I just be a voice to say God can keep us from those things as well? God has the power to do that. And my story is that, no, I, I, God didn't deliver me from all those things after the fact, but before the fact. He kept me out of those things. And I would wish that, that we might learn as children and stay on the right road. And there is hope that we will do that. When we were uh, uh, younger, a few years ago, remember we went to Washington, D.C. and Philadelphia and New York City and we took our kids along on the trip and and one of our boys was a, a young teenager and there were college students on the trip and he wanted to hang out with them, you know, he wanted to be older and they were taking subways across Washington, D.C. in the middle of the night to get pizza and he would say, I want to go with them and I don't know about that and I remember he looked at me and said, Dad, trust the way that you raised me. He's all of 13 years old. I said, I'm not finished yet. You need a little more time in the oven, you know? So we're going to keep on training you. And uh, no, you can't just take off across Philadelphia in the middle of the night. No, that's not going to work. But I'm grateful for the choices uh, that he is making. And it's interesting to read. Did you read what our students wrote? You know, that special Talwood Times we send out? We framed the one because we're so grateful one of our sons graduated. And, and on there, they give thanks to the church for different ones who invest in their lives. And the number one thanks they offer, not to the preacher, not even to Jerome and the youth ministers, but what they say is, thanks to those teachers who taught us. I wonder, are you, are you one of those who's going to help them start in the way and they're going to make decisions? I can't help but think about Jack Morrison this morning and his investment in the lives of those high school boys. And when they were in trouble, they knew don't call dad, call Jack, <laughs> you know, he'll be there for me and he'll, he'll be level-headed and help me through that time. There have been generations of those and now it's time for another generation to rise up and say, we will teach the students so that they will not depart from the way. But here's the promise and this is what I want you to see. Once we've trained them, then we trust God because God is sovereign. Can you believe this? God wants better things for our kids even than we want for them. Better than they want for themselves. It's not as if God's plan for their lives is going to be some arduous, horrible, torturous path for them. To go God's way is really to follow the one who said, take my yoke upon you and follow after me, for my yoke is easy. It's not like God's trying to make a life hard for our kids. He's really trying to make life better for our kids. 
And his path is to lead them back because they may stray. It says if they stray, maybe they will stray at some point. And if they find themselves on the wrong road, well, what then? I was at that street reach banquet earlier this year and I was there with those ministers who minister to these kids who live on the street in Montrose. Thank you for being a part of that Wednesday night ministry where we take food down to those kids who live on the street there. I've gone down there and held the babies. You know, the babies down there are having babies. And I've held those babies in my arm. I've, I've seen when we brought diapers down there and, a, and a, a solid meal for those kids who live on the street. But the most moving testimony this year at that gathering was, do you remember this? If you were there, do you remember the parents whose daughter lives on the streets in Montrose? And they say, we haven't heard from her in months. But this ministry is our single lifeline to our daughter. So we're grateful for these ministers who live and work down here in the Montrose area because they're keeping track of our daughter and we can't keep track of her anymore. And they were desperately hoping that their daughter would come back to the way that they had taught her. And I remembered St. Augustine had a period of time when he strayed away from the Lord. Augustine, who was, by the way, the greatest theologian since the Apostle Paul, and when he was young and choosing Manichaeism and all these different uh, kinds of religions and going his own way, and his mother would go to the church at the ghast and she would pray for him. And the pastor saw her praying and sort of like that story in the book of uh, 1 Samuel where Samuel's mother is praying for a child and Samuel and, Levi, and Eli comes and says, uh, what are you praying? He thinks she's drunk because she's praying so hard and she's crying. And she says, no, I'm praying for a son. Well, that's the way Monica, Augustine's mother was. And the pastor comes to her and says, the son of such tears will not be lost. Isn't that a great promise? Ruth Bell Graham claimed that for Franklin years ago when he was going his own way. The son of such tears and prayers will not be lost. That's a great promise. Here's the hope. That we train them in the way they should go. And then the day comes. Maybe they've strayed. Maybe like the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. After the story of the lost coin and the lost sheep, there's the lost boy. And he's gone his own way. He said to his own father, I wish you were dead. Isn't that what he said? I want my inheritance. When do you get your inheritance? When your parents die? I wish you were dead, he says. And so his father gives him money and he goes and he spends all of his father's money. And then there's this great moment. You remember it in Luke chapter 15, verse 17, where it says, he came to himself. I know the NIV says he came to his senses. Maybe that's what it means. But literally, he came to himself. Wait a minute, I thought his self was when he was out there sowing those wallows. No, that wasn't his self. That was his sin. But he came to himself. He came back to the way he'd been nurtured and trained. And he remembered what? His father. He remembered the way home. He found his way back to that road, didn't he? He's rehearsing the speech. I'm going to say, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. And, and as he's rehearsing his speech, he comes around a corner and he's looking up the road and he can see the house in the distance. But before he sees the house, his father, who's looking down the road, sees him and goes running down the road. How undignified and says, bring the robe, bring the ring, bring the shoes, because all of God's children have shoes. My son, who was lost is found. My son who is dead is alive again. And he starts saying the speech and his dad doesn't even... You remember the passage? He doesn't even let him finish the speech. He says, welcome home. And this is the way home. And the boy remembered... You know why he remembered that road? Because he had been on that road before. And this is what Solomon is saying. He's saying, if we will teach our children the way and train them to walk in the way, who is Christ, then this is the hope that someday, maybe when they're on the wrong road, 
Maybe when they've forgotten the teachings and they don't even remember who the Jebusites are anymore from their Sunday school lesson in the eighth grade. But they do remember their father's face. They do remember their mother's tears. They do remember a Sunday school teacher who cared about them and they say, I'm going to go back there. I'm going to go back to that place, back to that place where people love me, back to that place where they teach the Word of God. I'm going to go back home and they'll know that they're on the right road when they find it because they've been on that road before. I watched that happen in Ruth Pomacall's family. Remember Ruth who, who prayed for the children citing this verse? I was her pastor long enough to get to see the joy in her eyes when one by one her children and her sons and daughters-in-law walked down that aisle and came back to the Lord and back to the church. And I was at that church three, three plus years long enough to see the pews fill up with the young families whose parents had been praying for them to come back to God. I was there long enough and I know better than to think it was about the preaching. You know what I think? I think it was about the praying. I think it was about those people who gathered on Wednesday night to pray for the people to come back to the church. And I was grateful to get to see those kids come back to the Lord. And I was wondering if maybe this morning there's a parent here who's been praying this prayer for your kids. Lord, I trained them in the right way. Now I'm trusting you. That's all I can do now is trust a sovereign God. Or maybe there's a parent here who's wondering, maybe I didn't train them well enough. Maybe I didn't teach them enough. Maybe if I'd just done this, and there are all kinds of what-ifs. What if I'd done that? What? Listen, if you had to be a perfect parent to have good kids, there wouldn't be any good kids. Because there aren't any perfect parents. So this is the time to trust God to, to receive us as we come back to Him as well. Maybe there's a parent, but maybe, maybe there's a child. Maybe there's a young adult. Maybe there's an older adult. And your parents prayed this verse for you. And after they had trained you in the right way, they were trusting that you would come back. And I was just wondering, is today the day when you become the answer to your parents' and grandparents' prayers? When you return to the way who is Jesus Christ? Because your parents and your grandparents have been praying so hard for you. They trained you in the right way. They're trusting God for you to come back. And maybe today is the day when, like the prodigal, you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, Come home. Come home. You who are weary, come home. Come home to the God who loves you and longs to forgive you. Not the God who is always saying, No, stop, don't. But the God who loves to say yes to His children. Who would love to love you. And welcome you home. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for loving us the way you do. Thank you for welcoming us back home. Thank you for teachers and parents who trained us in the right way. Lord, would you help us to do what we could not do in our own strength. To come home to you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.